The future of bookselling would seem headed toward a single vanishing point, online and specifically Amazon. But recent developments raise hopes for publishers and readers that there will be alternatives. Welcome to Copyright Clearance Center's podcast series. I'm Christopher Keneally for Beyond the Book. Data gathered by the American Booksellers Association shows the number of indie stores growing rather than declining over the past five years. This week, a new bookstore opened in Seattle, though indie it is not. With details on what makes the new store special, we turn to Andrew Albanese, Publishers Weekly senior writer, who joins Beyond the Book each Friday with the latest in book business news. Welcome back, Andrew. Hey there, Chris. Well, indeed, this week it's a tale of at least two booksellers, and let's begin with the first ever brick-and-mortar bookstore from Amazon. Tell us how the industry is reacting. Yeah, you know, that's right. We finally got to see something that I wondered if we might never see, which is an actual physical bookstore from Amazon. Amazon Books opened this week in Seattle's University District, and already the panic and the predictions have kind of set in among the publishers and booksellers we're hearing from. You know, what could this possibly mean that Amazon is moving into bricks-and-mortar bookselling? Uh, You know, we had one of our own contributors here at PW visit the store, and you can read his impressions on the PW website. That's up now. And in Monday's issue, you can read even more as we're going to have an exclusive interview with Amazon officials regarding the bookstore. And Amazon officials say they hope that this store in Seattle, uh, a great bookstore town, is going to be followed by others. Well, we shall see. And, you know, really, how hard is it to open a bookstore, right? Just get a storefront and stuff books into it. But what does it mean that Amazon's done it and, and how did they do it? You know, one of the most interesting reviews of the Amazon bookstore is one I found online this week from Ars Technica, which which is a site that I I read quite a bit. And they wrote that, you know, if Amazon's store of the future, uh, if Amazon's bookstore is the future of neighborhood bookstores, I should say, then they're not entirely excited. The reporters who wandered the shop found its reliance on the Amazon smartphone app to be something that they had to, I'll quote them here, no desire to ever return to again. But what I find most fascinating is, you know, how Amazon's vast troves of customer data will inform how it's going to sell books in its store, or maybe its stores, plural, in the future. To me and to many critics, the Amazon site is a great place to get what you already know that you want. You know, I generally don't browse books on the Amazon site too much. I just go there to buy them when, sometimes when I need to. And the physical bookstore to me has always been about discovery, about that you know, being hand-sold a book from somebody. Uh, and to walk into a bookstore with your phone out and to basically be guided around the store by a phone, I'm not sure that you know, that's a great model for bookstores in the future. And is Amazon going to stock its shelves with the books that its own data suggests are going to move and ignore all of the rest of the great books out there it could be exposing to? You know, one of the neat things the store features is a top pre-orders selection. Uh, it's like five books, apparently, right behind the main counter. Uh, and the pre-order thing, that's something really only Amazon could offer, I think. There's also staff favorites, apparently. The Amazon staff are picking their favorites. And some of the titles are, you know, featuring reviews from customers from Amazon, customers who've posted favorable or five-star reviews for the most point, and also selected customer review quotes. You know, Ars Technica sort of tongue-in-cheek called it an ideal shopping experience for clueless book shoppers. Not surprisingly, Amazon Books also has a lot of gadgets in the store, which has also lined it up for criticism. And I have to say, I find that a little bit strange that they're getting criticized for having gadgets in its store because have you been to a Barnes & Noble lately? The Barnes & Noble in my neighborhood is basically a toy store with books, uh, and there's also pretty 
three massive displays of Nook and its technology, too. Now, as I said, we're going to have more about the bookstore on Monday's edition, including some perspective from Amazon officials themselves. But personally, I look at Amazon's opening a bookstore as fertile ground for a lot of questions about the future of bookselling. Is Amazon going to use this, a physical presence to actually stomp out Barnes and Noble and the other chains? Uh, you know, what will physical retail component mean for negotiating future book buying terms with publishers? Uh, and how will self-published books be handled? That to me might be the biggest question because Amazon's really built a reading empire populated by self-published books, especially in its Kindle Unlimited store, which is made up almost entirely of self-published books. And then, of course, we have the broader questions that could be really fun, like is the New York Times going to do a big story on the working conditions in Amazon's bookstore at some point? Or is Doug Preston going to pick it at an Amazon store? I say that sort of tongue-in-cheek. I'm kidding, of course, but only to a point because you know, the fact that you've put stakes in the ground and, and built a physical store changes the dynamic for Amazon just a little bit. You know, Are we seeing the world's first bookstore run by the internet here? And if so, what does that mean for the rest of the bookselling universe? Or is the Amazon bookstore, as Ars Technica's reviewers wrote, just a big bricks-and-mortar advertisement for the Amazon app? We shall see, but certainly stay tuned. All right. Well, we certainly will do that. Lots of great questions you asked there, and you obviously raised the working conditions question. I read that, in fact, the starting uh, wages for uh, bookstore staff is $18 an hour, which is well above the $15 an hour that I think just was voted in as the minimum wage in Seattle. So I suppose Amazon is trying to uh, get in front of that particular story. But what's not clear to me, Andrew, is is why bother? It, uh, I, I, I guess I get it, but then I really don't. And this is especially ironic, given that Google announced this week that it will not open a storefront it had begun to rent in Soho. Why bother? Indeed, that may be the biggest question of all. And I, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that we'll never really know because Amazon is probably going to be inscrutable as always when it comes to the reasons why they opened this store. I think that's probably a good bet. Now, listen, on another bookstore score. You've got a piece this week about startup Zola Books, founded by literary agent Joe Regal. And that site had died quietly, but is Phoenix-like sort of rising from the dead with an interesting new model. Tell us about that. Yeah, that's right. In Monday's issue, I have a story on Zola Books, which was, of course, founded in 2011, I believe, uh, by, as you say, the agent Joe Regal. Uh, and some of his authors actually were investors, in, including uh, the time traveler's wife, author Audrey Niffenegger. Zola was founded as this ambitious publishing, retail, and social recommendation website, which Joe and his backers hoped was going to spark change within a book business that was increasingly being dominated by Amazon. So the news here is that, uh, indeed, Zola did fail, although it failed quietly. Uh, just as its skeptics had predicted early on, the company, Regal conceded to me, had bitten off a little more than it can chew. Twelve different technology projects into the teeth of a rapidly changing bookselling environment. Well, it was a little too much for them. And about a year ago, the Zola site quietly came down. And the fact that nobody really knows that shows you just you know how much it didn't succeed. But I have to say, this fall, with the help of a best-selling author and a few lines of powerful code, Zola is rather Phoenix-like. It is coming back. Uh, after recognizing that Zola really couldn't do everything, Regal says that the company did take stock of what it could do, and they found that they had some really cool technology that they developed. And rather than you know sort of recast or redo a destination site, originally Zola was a destination site where they were going to try to draw readers in, they decided to become more of a tech provider. They created an API, which it calls the Everywhere Store, which it decides that it's going to give away for free that will enable anyone anywhere 
to drop a little code onto their website and sell books. And I have to say, it, it is pretty remarkable. The API is just a few lines of code, and you can pick it up and drop it on your site and immediately start selling books, including books from all the big five publishers uh, and all the major indies as well. Uh, the books are available on all the platforms, including most Kindle books, I would have to say, depending on the DRM that the books are encoded with. Uh, and the print sales, they also, it's not just ebooks, they sell print as well, and those sales are being fulfilled by Ingram. And what Zola hopes to do now is power a sort of micro-retail revolution, sort of fueling direct sales for anyone with the website, whether that's an indie bookstore looking to sell books through their homepages, small publishers or authors looking for an easy and a quick way to sell directly to consumers, libraries, bloggers, other media sites, you name it. You can just pick up this code for free, drop it on your site, and you're selling books. Well, we might start doing it beyond the book. Who knows? But can, can it work, really? Can Zola Books power that emerging micro-retail channel? We will see. You know, we're full of questions this week, but you know, Regal does have a test case here, uh, and that features uh, a book called The Mountain Shadow, which is author Gregory David Roberts' sequel to his 2003 mega bestseller Shantaram. And that test case has yielded positive results, Regal says. And it's an interesting story, too. You know, after his enormous success with Shantaram, Roberts had no desire to publish the sequel under a traditional publishing arrangement. And that's the thing about having a big bestseller. You get the money to allow you to try new things, to experiment with new things. And so he asked his agent, who happens to be Joe Regal, uh, Zola Books founder, to strike an innovative deal in which the author, Greg Roberts, retained the ebook rights. Now, he chose to publish a digital edition through Zola Books and for no advance at all, partnered with Grove Atlantic to do the print edition. The Zola published ebook is available through all the major retailers and platforms, including Amazon, and it's priced at $13.99. But Roberts also set up a website to offer an exclusive author's edition ebook with direct sales powered by Zola Books. Uh, in fact, the Everywhere Store, the first real test of how this technology would work for Zola. So for $14.99, Roberts' special edition features uh, like 24,000 words of deleted scenes and characters and dialogue and poems and side-by-side -side, uh, issues of chapters or edits of chapters, I should say. And there's this massive 180-question Q&A, which Robert says will be his last interview for some time. You know, the reason why he did this, Roberts, is that he said he wanted this to, he wanted to experiment. He called this an evolutionary arrangement that freed him to create the kind of ebook that he'd like to buy from any of his own favorite writers. And in reference to to the low ebook royalties and inflexible life of copyright contracts that are standard in publishing these days, certainly among the big five, uh, this deal and the ability to sell directly on his own website established a 50-50 partnership and benefit sharing that Roberts hopes is going to challenge some of the barriers of unfairness and indignity, he writes, for other writers. Now, Regal said he initially expected the author's edition, which is available only through Roberts' website, to account for about 1% of sales. But to date, it's captured a pretty robust 12% of sales. Uh, and those are sales that are powered just by Zola's uh, API and sales that are only available through Roberts's website. So Regal told me that 12% kind of blows his mind, and it really makes him wonder what would happen if the widget were dropped onto a site that already had a strong relationship with its users, perhaps like the CCC and beyond the book. Maybe we could sell a few books ourselves. Uh, very interesting. And what I like and I'm intrigued with is 
the point you make. If you're a bestseller, you can afford to experiment. It sounds as if Gregory David Roberts is really catering to that very special category of readers, the super fans, and giving them something special, which they're going to really latch on to. That is exactly right. And I think this is going to be really interesting to watch because if bestselling authors see the ability to sort of uh, sell these uh, special editions, author editions, it could really be a game changer, especially because they don't have to submit themselves to standard industry royalty rates. They take almost all of the income that come from these sales, minus the, the small amount of money that, that goes to Zola Books, uh, which takes a revenue share on these things. So you know, if more and more authors find the ability to reach their readers directly, if they have a website where they connect with their readers directly, this could be a new channel for them that could be very successful. All right. Well, Andrew Albany says, always, thank you for the latest on the innovative book business. How often do we say that? But the innovative book business, Andrew Albanese, is senior writer for Publishers Weekly and joins us every Friday on Beyond the Book. Again, we enjoy chatting with you. My pleasure, as always. Beyond the Book is produced by Copyright Clearance Center, a global rights broker for the world's most sought-after materials, including millions of books and e-books, journals, newspapers, magazines, and blogs, as well as images, movies, and television shows. You can follow Beyond the Book on Twitter, find us on Facebook, and subscribe to the free podcast series on iTunes or at our website, beyondthebook.com. Our engineer and co-producer is Jeremy Brisky of Burst Marketing. My name is Christopher Keneally. For all of us at Copyright Clearance Center, thanks for listening to Beyond the Book. Mm-hmm.